Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In a world that has been characterised by distancing and isolation in recent times, the practice of anything to do with one another has become strained. We were not created to do life alone. In fact, quite the opposite. We were created for community. Rather than just throwing us all together and letting us sort it all out, God gives us some direction on how best to do life in a community. Tonight, Dr. Corbett continues with the One Another series, which looks directly at how we should consider and treat those around us. Let's join him now for Living in Harmony with One Another. Father, we thank you that we can gather together and give heed to your word. We thank you, Lord, that we've been able to gather already and worship you in song, in praise. We thank you, Lord, that we've been able to give our hearts and minds over to you as we celebrated the ordinance of the Lord's Supper and Holy Communion. We pray, Father, now that we give our hearts and minds over to you through the ordinance of preaching. And we pray, O oh God, that your word would be effective, that, Lord, it would do what only you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, taking your word, working in our hearts, could possibly achieve. Have your way in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been going through a series called the One Another series, which is based on the fact that in 83 times in the New Testament, it talks about this expression, one another, and it talks about it as something that is essential for the Christian community. You know, there was a time not that long ago when to think in terms of Christianity being an individual relationship with God was completely foreign to Christians. Christians did, just did not think like that. Now, that's not to say that when you become a Christian, you don't have a relationship with God. Of course you do. You do have a relationship with God. But as I mentioned in the e-news a couple of weeks ago, my pastor's desk, the, the picture of the cross, the symbol of the cross, the vertical, which is our individual relationship with God, is not the only thing that makes up the cross. The cross is also a horizontal where we are connected to each other. The person on your left, the person on your right, the person in front of you, the person behind you, is your family, your family. The Bible calls Christians brothers and sisters. It says for younger men to treat older women as mothers. It says to young men, treat every woman as a sister. The Bible talks about Christian community being like a family. And, and families, as we might all know, hopefully we've experienced families and that's not always someone's experience. They're not always easy. Sometimes there's, there's tension in families and there's things that have to be resolved and worked through and that's just a part of normal family life, I think. Sometimes brothers can be really cruel to each other, sisters can be really cruel to each other because we tend to be far more transparent with those that we feel close to, which is kind of odd, isn't it? But that's the way it is. Sometimes we can be nicer to complete strangers than we can to one another. And it's the same, I think, in the church too. One of the indications, strangely, of the health of a church is that you end up having, at times, disagreements 
not because you don't like each other, it's because you do like each other, you do trust each other, that you're prepared to share with someone what you really think and how you really feel. So this series, One Another series, is so important. And one of the reasons I think it's important is because we now live in an age when there's disconnection everywhere. You know, it's like, oh, let's connect online. Yeah, well, we can, and I thank those who are with us online right now. In fact, there's, there's around um, 10 to 20 times more people online now that are in this building, and there's quite a few in this building now, so thank you. But we talk in terms of social media, when in fact social media can be one of the cruelest ways to interact with people that we now have, and young people would be particularly aware of this, young people who commit suicide because of something that happened on social media. So we have now a, a problem in our culture that I think culture is largely in denial about. And that is this problem of disconnection. We're not connected, we're disconnected. The other problem that we've got that's associated with the contagion of disconnection is loneliness. There's never been a culture in human history that has had more lonely people in it. Now I've mentioned to you that in the, in the past 20 years, the population of our city, Launceston, 10 minutes down the road, has doubled in 20 years. That means you've got, theoretically, you've got twice the opportunity to find a friend. And yet the opposite has happened. People are often friendless. They're often battling with loneliness. Sometimes they're not even battling. Sometimes their battle is a surrender to the bottle, to drugs, to internet porn to all kinds of things to fill that gap that God designed for us to fill with human connection and so the picture of the cross the vertical our relationship with God and it is thank God for that but the horizontal we're connected to each other you are in a room now full of family and if you are here today and you don't have a friend Keep hanging around here. You soon will. So this is really important. If, if what's been going on through COVID and now this horrible situation in the Slavic states of Russia invading Ukraine, which, which kind of touches me deeply, as, as I put on Facebook, I actually was a guest lecturer at the, the Ukrainian Evangelical uh, Bible School in the mid-1990s, I was in Kiev. I, I, that's a beautiful city, but I tell you, it's a, it was, when I was there, it was a sad place. It was a sad place because the Soviet regime had not been kind to Kiev. And it, it was so sad. The poverty was terrible. You, you, you know, young children would stand in car park spaces on the side of the road, and they would let you park if you paid them 20 cents. And it was, this was the desperation that people were going through. We couldn't flush the toilets because they didn't have enough water to go through the plumbing. And, and it was just, it was third world. And that was the result of Moscow. And I'm so thankful that there are believers in Ukraine. And there are, there are many, many believers, godly believers in Ukraine and in Russia as well who are praying through this situation. We need to remember as we talk about one another, 
that it's not just the one another of this room right now. It's the one another of our brothers and sisters also in our city. That's why at two o'clock it's so important. I would like everyone to come to the two o'clock prayer meeting at Door of Hope because it's a one another in this city. And sometimes we say things but that we don't mean and we say we want to see people saved, we want to see people come to know Christ, but we don't do anything about it. Therefore, I know you don't mean it. And I'm not saying you, I'm just saying that there are people who who say these things, but they don't do anything about it. And therefore, I know you don't really mean it. So I want us to, be, to, to get why this series is so important. And the problem that we've got is that we're, we're only doing it for two and a bit months, and when in fact we could probably do it for the next two and a bit decades and still not quite fully grasp it. So it's really important what we're looking at now. I was mentioning the Soviet... Soviet the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And it's almost as if we're, we're in a culture now that, that s- says rebellion and autonomy and sticking it up the man is what a hero looks like. What a sad indictment on our understanding of what a hero is. That's not heroic to do that. And while it might be easy to see that on a global international scale, sometimes it's a little bit harder when it comes down to the ground where we live. And maybe, maybe you've met Christians who've said, I'm not doing church anymore. Church hurt me. I'm not going there anymore. It's just me and Jesus now. Christianity is not about religion, they'll say. It's about relationship, which was the essence of my pastor's desk two weeks ago, saying, pointing out, hang on a minute, Jack. Uh, sorry if Jack's here. It's not particularly targeted at you. I'm just picking a name. Christianity is a religion in the true sense of the word, as, as James says. He actually says true religion is care for one another, to sum it up. So there is an aspect that religion is vertical, but it's also this horizontal where we care for one another. And if you think about the two greatest commands that Jesus gave when asked, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength and soul, and that's what we should do. And can I tell you, I'm not there yet. And can I challenge you that we want to be there we we want to be there and the fact that I say we when we consider things like the Lord's prayer it's not my father in heaven hallowed be thy name your kingdom come give me my daily bread hear the Lord's prayer our father give us our daily bread forgive us our trespasses see the horizontal So you wonder why this series is so important? That's why it's so important. Because we live in an autonomous, redefined, heroic culture that is toxic. It is absolutely toxic. And and if we have this rugged individual, I'm not going to do what anyone tells me to do. And church, I'm through with church. I'm over church. They hurt me in church. Therefore, I'm not going to be a part of it. You know, I think of that we have a number of doctors and I'm looking now out and I can see a number of doctors and, and, and people who are involved in medicine. Imagine in emergency medicine, someone is brought in by the ambos. We've got ambos here as well. And, and you bring someone in and, and there's bones broken, sticking through the skin. And the doctor says, um, this may, I have to fix you, this may hurt a little. What if that person says, forget it, ambo, get me out of here. I'm not going to this hospital. They want to hurt me. But why do they want to hurt you? To put that bone back into place. To put that broken 
bone back into place, to put your brokenness back into wholeness may hurt. But why does the doctor want to hurt you? Because it's going to bring wholeness and healing to you. And so in the church, as I hope we'll see in a moment, there are things that God wants to do through those ordained, and by ordained I mean God has instituted that there are pastors that care as shepherds for the church. And sometimes caring means we have to put broken bones back together and that might hurt. But we only do it because we care. And you can shake your fist and say, they hurt me there, they told me I needed to repent, they told me I needed to check my attitude and they told me all kinds of hurtful things. But we only say that. And by the way, I'm not thinking of anyone here who said that. The fact that you're here is an indication that you don't think like that. Thank you. But we need to understand that if we, if we are not a part of the body of Christ represented by a local congregation, we are in great jeopardy. I want to illustrate this. I want to illustrate this by something that I saw about Florida. Florida is on the, the far southeast coast of the United States. It was at one point a major citrus orchard area and then they were blighted with um, pests that came through and they, they had to pull out thousands of acres of, of citrus orchards. The problem was that many of these citrus trees went rogue. <laughs> they left the reservation. They were somehow they seeded outside of the orchards and they are everywhere now. And here's one YouTube clip where you can see here wild citrus in Florida forest. Why it's a big deal. And the, the reason is there's tangerines growing wild on the side of the road through the forest. There's oranges growing wild. There's kumquats. There's oranges. There's, there's all these lemons. There's all these things. So the oranges, the tangerines, you know, one of my favorite fruits, I, I, I only get it in winter. It's the navel orange. Oh man, there's not a lot to like about winter except navel oranges. Man, I love navel oranges. And I think it's, it's God's ingenious vitamin C dose in a time when we actually need more vitamin C through winter. And I love it. But these things on the side of the road, eventually after growing outside of the orchard, outside of the care of the orchardist, and, if you've, and one, one of probably my best friend is an orchardist. He manages 1,200 acres of orchard. And he's, it's constant work all year round. You think, well, surely just to harvest time. No, no, no. When they're not harvesting, they have to prune these trees. They have to get rid of the growth that could cause a fungus to grow in the soil. They have to then get rid of the, the organisms that could be pests that could eat and destroy the fruit. And all this takes place during what we might think of as the off-season, and that orchardist has to care for those trees with great care. Well, what happens if a citrus tree is not subject to that kind of care? What happens to it? Well, this is what happens to it, and if you ever get to watch this video, you'll see that this man says, these things are just growing wild in the forest, and they're everywhere now. And, and people come to Florida, and they hike, and they go, oh, cool, look at this, a tangerine. They grab the tangerine, peel it back, take one bite in it, they get a mouthful of pips and then they get something that tastes very similar to battery acid and it's not good. Now that's one of the problems in Florida. 
Here's another problem. Hogs. Now, I'm not talking about Harley get up a hill Davidson's. Have a look at this. Welcome to Florida, where we call home. Florida's 1,350 miles of coastline and warm weather year-round attract thousands of tourists each year. Around 1,000 people per day move to Florida, but most don't realize the wild place they're getting themselves into. Florida's subtropical climate makes it a perfect place for a vast population of many species of wildlife, including snakes, turtles, alligators, and wild hogs. Domestic pigs were first introduced into the state of Florida around the year 1539 by Hernando de Soto. Then in the 1800s, Eurasian wild boar were introduced into the southeast United States for hunting. Nowadays, most of the hogs we encounter are a mix between domestic pigs gone wild and Eurasian wild boar. There's really no way to estimate how many hogs are in Florida, but we do know that wild hogs are now in every county in the state. Not only do wild hogs carry many diseases that are harmful to humans, but they are also responsible for hundreds of millions of dollars in agricultural and landscape damage each year. Quit biting my rope. Got it. Whoa, that Whoa. was close. That was pretty, he touched yeah. my finger. Whoa. All right, so he has hobbled. We'll go ahead and get these ropes off of him. He'll still be able to move around a little bit. Well, he's not beat. I got thrown in the head. Never know. I mean, it's a man-made hobble. Anything man-made is never perfect. So you never want to let your guard down because this hog could potentially kill you without without question. I just got my foot too close to his mouth, and he's just chewing down on my boot. See how he's chewing? Exactly what that hog did on my on my uh, finger. He's just chewing like that, grinding. If a hog gets a hold of you, you are not getting it, whatever's in his mouth back until he chooses to let go. He's got my boot in his mouth. <laughs> he won't let go. Luckily, these. Uh, luckily, he doesn't have my toe. <laughs> Grab it. Grab it. Give me my boot back. These cutters. I mean, that's what will kill you right there. Is these jagged, sharp cutters. Those are gut hooks. And he's got his eyeball on me. And they're very accurate with those things too. That's what they use to defend themselves. That's what they use to fight with other hogs. And that can kill you. I hope you heard him say, these things will definitely kill you. And they are, they are deadly to human beings. They are, as he said, once domesticated pigs that have gone wild. That is a part of the definition of feral. They are no longer cared for by a farmer, and they have gone feral. So the definition of feral that we might use here is something that was once domesticated and has now gone wild and untamed. As a result, it often becomes dangerous and unhealthy, as we heard. So here's the thing. These, these pigs, these hogs, these boars, that you might think, well, surely they could harvest them and use the meat. No, the meat is so tough. The domesticated pigs have a very, very tender meat. But these wild pigs, because they're no longer domesticated, have a meat that is so tough. It's, it's just not 
edible for human consumption. So I want you to think about this picture, these two pictures, the, the now, the once domesticated citrus fruit that's gone feral, it becomes bitter and acidic to the taste. What about, well, when the, once, when the once domesticated pigs go feral, they become hostile, dangerous, and no longer tender. So that which was once sweet, the citrus fruit, and that which was once tender and safe, when it goes outside of being cared for, it becomes bitter, inedible, and the meat of these boars, these pigs, is so tough. It's full of disease, and it's tough and hardened, and it's no longer tender. I want, to hold, I want to present this to you as a picture of what happens when someone says, I'm through with church. From now on, it's just me and Jesus. And the Bible describes us as being like trees. Psalm 1 and so on. Romans 9, 10, 11. Oh, these are pictures of what it's like to be the Christian. I also think of Jesus describing the care of the shepherd being like a vine dresser. John chapter 15 where the vine dresser is able to prune that which is meant to give fruit. So we, I hope we can see that, that God has designed and ordained for his redeemed people to be domesticated by being in Christian community. And so today... I want to encourage us in this One Another series as we think over the last few weeks. We had Alan kick off with Encourage One Another and I hope you all got your bookmark. And here's the, I told you there'd be an exam. Here's the exam. No, we won't do that right now. Empathy, notice other people, come together, overlook faults. Uphold in prayer, rejoice and cheer each other on, apply scripture, give support, extend hospitality. That's what Alan said when he kicked off this series. Then we had Jenny talk about accept one another. And Jenny, I just need you to tone it down a bit because people said that was probably the best preaching I'd ever heard at Lagana. <laughs> Gee, I give you one go and you outshine the pastor. But anyway, no, I'm kidding. I'm not kidding about the fact that people said you were excellent. It was really good. And then Tony had pray for one another. And I heard that he gave some instruction on how to pray for one another. Not pray that they'll do what you want. So we are to pray for one another, encourage one another, accept one another. And today I want to look at live in harmony with one another. That word harmony is interesting, isn't it? One of the most... I think beautiful things that the human voice can do is called a four-part harmony. And I'm man enough to admit that I love the Gaither vocal band and that's a four-part harmony thing. And every time Kim's hear me listening to it, she goes, why are you listening to that old man music for? Four-part harmonies where you have four different 
voices that when put together, oh, it's absolutely wonderful. And sometimes we have harmonies happening on the stage that you probably don't even recognise because you're sitting way back there and I'm usually sitting up the front and I can hear it clearer. There's an inducement to come and sit on these blessed anointing seats that we have up the front here. And sometimes we think harmony is when we all do the same thing, think the same thing, do it the same way, when in fact that's not harmony at all. It's kind of the difference between unison and unity. Unison is, yep, yeah, it's like synchronised swimming. You're all doing the same thing. Or if you watched the, um, the ice, what did they call it, ice dancing or ice, the ice skating, figure skating at the, the recent Olymp- Winter Olympics, I watched that and just marvelled at how they could be skating together doing exactly the same thing. He could throw her up, she could do cartwheels in the air, do a twirl, come back down, he could catch her. And her arms would be in exactly the same shape as his were when he caught her. And it was just incredible. That's harmony. Beautiful harmony. So here's the key text. This is taken from Romans chapter 12, which Romans chapter 12 verses 9 to 21 is a great constitution for any church. And this is what it says. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, which is proud, arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So that's Romans 12 verse 16. The fact that the New Testament says we are to do this, in other words, it's a, it's a command, tells, it should tell us that if you have to command something, it means that there's a resistance to actually do it. It could be a challenge to actually do it. So I want, to, I want to ask the question, why might that be? What would be the resistance to people wanting to live in harmony with each other? And I actually think, to put it in a spiritual warfare context, that the enemy of our souls exploits this weakness in us. He exploits the weakness. And, and as I was putting together, I haven't got it in the notes, but as I was thinking about it, Proverbs says there are six things God hates. No, seven, which is a, a Hebraism to really say, you need to listen to these. Six things God really detests. Seven, And one of them is a brother who causes division. God detests it. A brother who causes division. So you know it's within a family. So... The enemy of our soul knows that we are most vulnerable to being in disharmony when we are isolated. And I think of the the parable that Jesus told of the shepherd that had a hundred sheep. The 99 are in the pen, they're in the fold. And he knows there's 99. He knows that he has a hundred and there's 99 there, therefore he secures them in the fold and he goes and searches for the one why because that isolated lamb is now vulnerable to the wolf that isolated lamb is vulnerable to the young lion that that isolated lamb is called lunch to some animal and Jesus is saying this with a spiritual overtone that spiritually 
when we get offended, which the enemy uses to isolate the believer, when we are offended and upset with another believer and we isolate ourselves, we become very vulnerable to the attack of the enemy, which is the point of what Jesus was saying, that the shepherd will go to great lengths to restore that one. As pastors, we try to do the same here as well. We think gathering together on a Sunday is really important. It is actually a command for the believer. It should be not just a command of duty, but it should be an expression of our delight to honour God. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, do not neglect to gather together, it says, as is the habit of some. But as much as you see that day approaching, continue to consider how you can stir one another up, it says. Hebrews 10.25. So harmony doesn't come naturally. Even to those of us who are broken, and, and we're all broken in some way, and God is restoring us in his hospital care for our soul, and ultimately we will be made whole when we meet with him. But in the meantime... We are saved, but not yet who we will be. So the result here is, we read in Romans chapter 15, so three chapters later, Paul says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see here these words, um, the, the God of all endurance and encouragement, which is a part of what Alan was saying, that, that you might be granted to live in harmony. And I hope that that's our prayer for this church as well, that God may grant it that we can live in harmony with one another, uh, that with one voice, as we have done this morning, Worship God together. You see, worshipping in song is ordained by God as a vital part of Christian worship. Not just worshipping in song, but worshipping in song together. God has ordained that his people do that. Paul, wanting to say this now for the third time, says in Romans chapter 16, so one more chapter after this one, this is now the third time he's referring to this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. So here, the doctrine that has been taught, I wonder what doctrine he's referring to. Well, I want to suggest to you that there is a doctrine that is avoided, tragically, that, we, that can lead to us not being in harmony with each other. And that doctrine is called the doctrine of ecclesiology. Ecclesiology. That's a big word. Ecclesiology. It comes from the Greek word for church. The Greek word for church is ecclesia, the gathering together, the congregation. Ecclesia. Ecclesiology is the study of the church. It's how we understand the church. And many people do not have a rich ecclesiology. And we all need one. 
We all need a rich ecclesiology. So it's important that we understand harmony. It doesn't mean sameness, as I hope I've made clear. But it does mean togetherness. It does mean that. As I, in my own, my own devotional reading, I'm, I'm in James at the moment, and as I was pondering James this morning, just as part of my reading, and I, I read James say this, James, a servant of Jesus Christ. Now that's unusual for the New Testament epistles. You'll notice Paul says things like this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the one who in Acts chapter 15, when the church came together to decide an issue, he's the one who gave the summer up. He summed it all up and said, this is how we're going to move forward now. So James designates himself, James, a servant of Jesus Christ. A servant. If we've got any chance of being in harmony, the leaders of this church, and I mean that not just right now today, but in decades and centuries to come, have to see ourselves as servants. And I hope that every leader, whether you're a home group leader, whether you're a youth leader, whether you're a women's group leader, a mops group leader, whether you're a kids church worker, you see yourself as a servant. We're here to serve. Now, James, his brother, Jude, these James and Jude, two of the most amazing conversions described in the New Testament, Jude said this, They said to you, the apostles, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. Jude 20 and 21, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And in that statement, Jude is aware that there have been many people at that time who have come into the church and said, you don't become a Christian by simply putting your faith in Jesus. You become a Christian by keeping the law of Moses and by putting your faith in Jesus. And Jude is saying these people are causing division. That is not right. We need to be a people that understand what the gospel really is. And it's about Jesus Christ. He says. So let me see if I can bring this bring this home. God has ordained leaders to shepherd his church. Without leaders, it's very difficult to have unity. I went to watch uh, Ruby play a game of touch football the other week or last week, and her team had a coach. The other team did not have a coach. The other team lost, like by a big margin lost, because they had no one guiding and directing them. Ruby's team had a very vocal coach. I could hear him from the other side of the field continually, particularly when the name Ruby was mentioned. <laughs> Colossians tells us that this is what love looks like. Also, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In perfect harmony. Wow. If we just do one thing, love one another. So it doesn't mean that we're not going to see things differently. We may see things differently. 
but it's how we go about seeing things differently. It's how we go about our differences. It's how we go about resolving those things. And Paul says to his protege Timothy, at a time when he was at Ephesus, when there was lots of division coming into the church at Ephesus, this is what he wrote to Timothy from his prison cell. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So the challenge that we have in our church is that I mentioned sometimes in order to have harmony, we have to help broken people become whole. For broken people, to use the emergency room illustration of someone being wheeled in on the gurney and there's blood and there's broken bones sticking through their skin and the doctor says, this may hurt. But he's saying that to bring healing. And sometimes of all the things that God has ordained the church to do, to celebrate the Lord's table, which Josiah led us over this morning, to offer up prayers, as the scripture says to do, to baptise people as we will be baptising people in a few weeks. These ordinances and the ordinance of preaching, preaching God's word, and I hope that's how it's received today. These things are also in the same list of things that God has ordained to reprove, rebuke and exhort, which is a type of encouragement. And while we might like the encouragement, because Alan did a great job with that, and we might like the complete patience, which is part of what Jenny was saying, accepting one another. I'm not sure how many of us relish being reproved or rebuked, but it's a necessary part of a church being in harmony with one another. And it's done in love and it's done in care and it's necessary. And at the moment, thank God, there's nothing that we're having to seriously address or reprove or rebuke. But I'm glad I'm preaching this message today when we're not facing anything like this. So that when the time comes, we understand what's going on. Would you please stand? I'm going to come back after this song as we sing this creed and then I'm going to pray with you.
God has ordained for his people to be sweet and tender. Not bitter like battery acid and tough as an old boar, but sweet and tender. And that's what being a part of the body of Christ can do, part of a congregation. Let's pray. Father, we're aware that there may be those who have never received Christ as their saviour, the one who could rescue them, the one who can be a brother to them, the one who can introduce them to the Father. And Lord, I pray in this moment that there would be a transaction, a transaction where they, those who've never made Christ their saviour, by a simple prayer that says, Jesus, please forgive me. Come into my life and help me to live for you. You pray a prayer like that, I guarantee you, your life will be changed. You may have all kinds of doubts, then I want to offer you a different kind of prayer. For those who are in doubt, I want to suggest that you pray this, God, reveal yourself to me and see what happens. And now, Lord, I pray that we as your people might live in harmony learning how to live in harmony, learning how to love, learning how to care, learning how to heal the other. And so, Father, I pray that we might know the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and reveal Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to each other in our fellowship with each other. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. As we've heard tonight, harmony does not come naturally and leaders are charged to guard the harmony of the church community. More from Dr. Corbett next week with more of the One Another series. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.